What I want to do tonight is, for those of you that haven't been here, I've got a new book out entitled uh, Sharper Than a Two-Edged Sword, which is a compilation of 16 of my books. And each chapter, there's 16 chapters, is devoted to one book. And so it's just a brief overview or summary. And we have already had a tremendous response to this. Sometimes you get bogged down in the details. And I'll go to teaching something and try and make a point to such a detail that I lose some people. And so what this has done, it just gives a brief overview and already people are seeing the benefit to this. And we've had a really, really good response to this. Uh, Jim Ertle believes this is going to be our best selling book. And I think it may well be. But anyway, I want to do something like that this weekend. And what I've been doing is just teaching on some of the uh, major things that God has shown me. I'm really dealing with just two areas, identity, the identity of God who he really is and what he's really like, because how can you have a relationship with a person that you've misunderstood? And I think God has been mislined, misrepresented and uh, lied about. And because of it, this is one reason that people don't have the intimacy and the relationship with God that they desire is because they've been told that God is a mean, harsh God when the Bible says that he is love. So my two previous messages have been showing that God is not the one who puts sickness and disease and poverty and problems in your life. God is not the author of your problems. He isn't doing it to make you better. He's not doing it to punish you. That's major. That's what I talked about last night. Today, I talked about how that there is a difference between the way God dealt with man under the old covenant and the new covenant. And primarily this all centers around sin. That in the old covenant, man's sins were imputed unto them. That means put to their account and God dealt with you based on how well you conform to the covenant that he made. But in the new covenant, it is completely different. We use 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 19, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, making us friendly with him. And the way he did it was by not imputing our sins unto us. God does not hold sins against you anymore. How could that be? Did God just turn a, you know, a, his back on sin and not look at it anymore? And is he just now ignoring it? No, not at all. He put all of your sin and my sin, the sin of the entire human race in Jesus. Jesus became sin for us is what it says. Second Corinthians five twenty one. I didn't get that far this morning. But it says, for he made him who knew no sin to be made sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God. Jesus became sin so that you could become righteous. And this isn't something that takes place in the future. It's something that is now a present tense reality. The Bible says we are now the righteousness of God. And I tell you, this is just powerful. If you understand this, it totally changes the concept that most people have of God. Most people believe that God can do anything. He has the power because he's God. God can do anything. But what they're doubting isn't God's ability. They are doubting God's willingness because they still have an Old Testament mentality believing that our sin separates us, separates us from God and that we've got to pray through and repent and do all of these things. And the scripture says that when you get born again, your sins have been wiped out past, present, and future. I won't be able to say all of that tonight. I'll probably get on this again tomorrow morning and spend some more time verifying it. 
But I've said those things about God, that God is such a good God that he took every bit of his wrath and punished his own son for your sins. And there isn't any wrath left in God for you. God is not mad at you. I don't care what you're doing. And I know that that just rubs some people the wrong way because we have been taught that, no, you've got to suffer for that sin and you got to repent and stuff. But the truth is Jesus has already suffered. I had one lawyer come up to me tonight and he said he could understand what I was talking about because of double jeopardy. If you punish one person, if they go to prison, you can't punish them twice. Yet it's double jeopardy. Jesus has already suffered for your sin. And if you have to suffer for it, that would be double jeopardy. You can't do that. And so anyway, if you understand this, it just changes the whole relationship with God. Most Christians' life centers around sin. You're trying to overcome sin. You're trying to quit some sin. You're trying to get over the guilt and the condemnation of things that you've done in the past. The average Christian, when you approach God, oh God, we're so sorry. We're so, we come before you so humbly. We don't deserve anything. And your whole talk is about how sorry you are. I heard Kenneth Copeland say this one time. And he says, if you feel like a gnat on the back of an elephant, when you come before God, then don't talk about how small you are. Talk about how big the elephant is. <laughs> Instead of talking about how sorry you are, talk about how awesome God is to love somebody as sorry as you. Amen. But you know, most of us just focus on our unworthiness and we are so sin conscious. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse two, that there should be no more conscience of sin. Some of you think that isn't possible. That's not it. Most Christians don't even believe that's desirable. Most Christians believe that keeping a, a knowledge of your sin and going around, I'm an old sinner saved by grace. I'm a worm. That most Christians think that that's a godly thing. You do need to acknowledge that you weren't saved because you deserved it. And it is important to recognize where you've come from, but boy, to... Go around focused on your ungodliness just reinforces your weakness and it's not the way that God intends for us to live. He told us to look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We should be seeing who we are in Christ. And what I want to share with you tonight is what the Lord showed me. This is the thing that revolutionized my life. Everything that God has ever shown me basically came from this revelation I'll share with you tonight. I'm not going to be able to share it in the detail that I could. Uh, that's what I've got other uh, teachings for. I've got a teaching entitled Spirit, Soul, and Body. And uh, so I encourage you to get these other things. But tonight, I'm just going to give you a, a shotgun blast of some of these truths that changed my life. When I understood this, it's like somebody stuck a, a key in my brain and unlocked it and set me free. And everything that God has shown me basically comes down to this one thing. It has revolutionized my life. If this touches your life half as much as it's touched my life, this could be a banner evening for you. It could change your life. Let's turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I was in these verses this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And man, these are, these are powerful verses. 
Second Corinthians chapter four, beginning with verse 16. I could preach on all of it. It all fits together perfectly. The things that he's saying, it's powerful. I'm just going to have to skip over it because I've got more to say, but you need to study this until you, like Paul said, that we walk by faith and not by sight, that we see things that aren't seen. There is an unseen world out here and there's an unseen you. Most of you think that you know yourself. There's very few people in here that know who you really are. There is a you that you can't see in the mirror and that you can't feel. That's what all of these verses are about. Look in verse 16. It says, wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Boy, that is a mouthful. This is probably not underlined in most of your Bibles. But that is one of the greatest verses. I could preach on that for weeks. What a powerful truth that is that we don't know any man after the flesh. We don't judge people based on the color of their skin, based on their cleanliness, based on whether they're educated or uneducated. We know people spirit to spirit. That's as rare as hen teeth. Most of us do judge each other based on all of these external things. We know things by our natural man, our sight, our hearing, our smell, instead of by the heart. Most of us don't listen to a person's heart. Boy, this is, this is awesome. And he said at one time they knew Christ after the flesh, but now we don't know him that way anymore. I've got at least five or six teachings on this verse. That is awesome. And then he goes on to say in the next verse, but if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new and all things are of God who hath reconciled us unto himself. Man, that is powerful. You know, most people just skip over this because they, they read this and they say, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And so they look in their life and they think, you know what? I've still got some of the same hurts and pains. I've still got the same mate. I've still got the same sickness, disease. I still got the same background. I'm still dealing with some of the same stuff. And they thought, I thought I was going to be a new person. I thought everything was going to be changed. You know, when I minister on this and people in prison, uh, they respond to this teaching more than anything else, because there's a lot of people that are in prison that get serious and realize they've made a mess of their life. And so some preacher comes along and says, believe on Jesus and you can become a new creature. You can get a new start. And so there's lots of people that pray for salvation. And then they wake up in the morning and they're in the same jail cell. They got the same length of sentence. The guards are still treating them the same. Everybody's telling them about what they did. And they thought, I thought everything was going to be changed. There's a lot of people outside of prison that have the same conflict and they They see that the word promises that your old things have passed away. All things have become new. It didn't say all things are going to become new. It says all things have become new. And immediately there's this conflict. When you pray and believe to become a new creature and it says old things have passed away, all things have become new. Immediately now you have a conflict. Here's what the word says. You're a new person. Everything is different. And yet you go look in the mirror You still have the same zits. 
you still have the same problems. If you didn't have hair before, you aren't going to have hair after. If you were a male before, you're still going to be a male after. If you were a female, you're still a female. You can't see this change. And immediately there's this conflict. And you start thinking about, you know, I'm not sure it worked. I wonder if I truly got born again because you can't see, taste, hear, smell, or feel it. But here is what God used to change my life. I read these exact verses and I was dealing with this dilemma and saying, God, it just seems like I can't change. I'm wanting to change and I couldn't change. And I was saying, this says I have changed, but if I've changed, where is it? Here's the thing that God spoke to me that changed my life. That the part of you that got born again wasn't your physical body. It says old things pass away, all things become new. If you were fat before you got saved, you're still going to be fat after you get saved. Your body doesn't instantly change. It's not talking about your soul. Sometimes religious people will use that terminology and say, I came to see a soul saved. We need to be a soul winner. There are two scriptures in the New Testament talk about your soul being changed, but that's talking about like when you're depressed and you all of a sudden receive the joy of the Lord. That's soul salvation. Your born again experience isn't your soul being saved. Your soul is not the part of you that got saved. Soul is a scriptural term that describes your inner personality, your emotions. You know, everybody is aware that you have a physical body. You're looking at my physical body. You know what your physical body looks like, whether it's male or female, whether you're tall or are short or whatever. You know your physical body, but you also know that there is an emotional inner part of you that people can't see, but it's, it's real. I could come up and tap you on the shoulder and you could feel it, but I could also touch you without ever touching you physically. I could say words that would make you laugh or cry. I could tell you that, you know, your relative just died in a car wreck. It could be a total lie. And yet that could touch you and you could feel it and experience things. There is an emotional inner part of you and everybody's aware of those two parts because you don't have to do anything. It's just, you're aware of it. You know, right now, you know, if you're hot or cold, you know, if you're tired of sitting or not tired of sitting, you know, if your back hurts or doesn't, you know, if you're sleepy or not, you don't, if I was to say, uh, are you cold in here? Do we need uh, the air turned down? If I was to say that, you wouldn't have to say, well, let me pray about it and I'll come back to you in an hour and I'll, I'll let you know. You don't have to go search it out. You just automatically know, are you hot or cold? Are you tired? Are you sleepy? Do you feel good? Do you feel bad? You constantly are monitoring the physical realm and you are constantly monitoring your emotional, soulish realm. If I said, so are you happy or sad? You don't have to say, well, let me pray about it. And I'll come back tomorrow and tell you how I am. You know, if you're happy or sad, you constantly monitor this. And because of that, because it is so dominant and you just know these things, we forget that the Bible says you aren't just a soul and a body. You also have a spirit. There's many verses that say this, but one of them is first Thessalonians chapter five, verse 23. And Paul prayed a prayer and he says, I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless. He made it very clear. There's many verses, but this one has all three in one verse. You are a spirit, soul, and body. Your body and soul are things that you just know by your feelings, but your spirit 
cannot be felt. There isn't any way to contact your spirit with your five senses. Man, that is a powerful truth. John chapter six, verse 63, Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. God's word is spirit and life. God's word reveals spiritual things to you and you can't see it in a mirror. You know, if you wanted to see if your hair is combed, you can't tell if your hair is combed by just sitting there. Some of you hadn't thought about this, but you know what? I don't, I can't feel if my hair is combed. I assume it's combed because I combed it. Nobody's done anything to it since then, but I can't tell if my hair is combed. I can't see my hair. Did you know I can't see my face? Some of you think, well, yes, you can. You can't see your face. You have never with your eyes looked at your face. You have looked at a reflection of your face. You've looked at a picture of your face, a drawing of your face, but you have never looked at you. How do you know that that mirror is showing you the right thing? (laughs) Haven't you ever looked in a mirror that makes you tall and skinny or short and fat? I'm not trying to get you to doubt what you see in the mirror. I'm just saying that, you know, whether you realize it or not, you look at something else and you just trust that that is a true representation of you. And you have to interpret it because when you hold up this hand, did you know in a mirror, it's your left hand. It's a mirror image. Guys can figure that out, but I don't think girls will get that. Jamie and I have been through this a hundred times. I'll say you've got something right here and inevitably she'll touch this side because she looks at things in a mirror image. But anyway, (laughs) you look at that image and you trust what you see. You don't go by how you feel because you can't see your hair. You can't see your face. You look at that image and you take... um, action based on that. Did you know that when you are looking in the word of God, you are looking at a spiritual representation, a spiritual mirror. It says in James chapter one, that whoever looks into the perfect law of liberty, talking about the word of God is like a man that beholds his face in a mirror, in a glass. Looking in the word of God is looking at your spiritual self. If you want to see if your hair is combed, you can't go by how you feel. You have to go look in a mirror and you trust what you see. If you want to see what your spirit's like, you cannot go by how you feel. And this is what was messing my life up. And I think that this is what messes up most people's lives is that we just assume that if we were anointed and if God loved us and if we had power and if we were truly free, we would feel it. You can't feel God. Some of you are thinking, oh, I felt God. No, you can feel faith. Faith is tangible. The anointing of God, which is the manifest presence of God, you can actually put that into a cloth and hand it to somebody and they can be healed. There are tangible things, but God himself is a spirit, John 4, 24. And those who worship him, that's talking about those who really make contact with him, have to do it in spirit and in truth. And the problem is most people are trying to discern God through their physical 
body are through their emotional feelings. And you cannot know God that way. Every once in a while, a little bit of the power of God will slosh out into your emotions, but that is not a true indication. The Bible says he'll never leave you nor forsake you. And the truth is, I don't care how far from God you feel, he's never left you nor forsaken you. I don't care how depressed you feel. The Bible says it in the spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. You have love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. That's in your spirit constantly. Your spirit is never depressed, never depressed. When you're depressed and saying, oh God, where are you? Would you please touch me? I just need joy. The whole time you've got joy. It's not in your soul. It's in your spirit. And the problem is that you aren't living from the spirit who you are in Christ. You are living as a natural man who hasn't been born again and doesn't have God living on the inside of you. This totally changed my life when I began to see this. I began to recognize that everything I was asking God for, I already had. It was already in my spirit. When I got born again, it's not in the process of becoming better. My spirit isn't a baby spirit that's growing into an adult spirit. When I got born again, I have the fullness of God in me instantly. My spirit is mature. It has the mind of Christ. It has the same anointing of Christ. God is in me in his fullness and in my spirit, I'm identical to Jesus. Some of you are saying, where did you get that? Look at a couple of scriptures here in Ephesians chapter four, verse 24. Again, I wish I had time to put this in its context, but it says, and that she put on the new man. In other words, you've got this new man that every time that's used, there's hundreds of times that's used in the New Testament. It's talking about if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, a new man. Old things have passed away. All things become new. You already have this new life in Christ, but you have to put it on. You have to draw it out. You have to renew your mind. And so he says, and that you put on the new man, which after God is renewed in righteousness and true holiness, or excuse me, it's created in righteousness and true holiness. The moment you got born again, the part of you that became new, old things passed away, all things became new was your spirit, not your body. You still have the same body. You still got the same soul. You still got the same mind, but in your spirit, You had a dead spirit that was separated from God. It is gone. Here's another major difference. You're going to hear a lot of people teach that you still got your old spirit and plus you got this new spirit. So you, you're schizophrenic on the inside. That's not true. You don't have an old spirit. Your old man is dead and gone. It does not exist. I know many of you struggle with this because we've been taught so much from Romans chapter six and seven, but if I had time, I could go through there and show you that what you have is the knowledge, the body that that old man left behind. You don't have the old man. You just got an unrenewed mind. And as quickly as you can renew your mind and begin to start realizing I'm no longer an old sinner saved by grace, but I was an old sinner and I got saved by grace. And now I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. If you could understand that as quickly as you can renew your mind, you can begin to start living in the new life and manifesting the same power and doing the same works that Jesus did. 
But as long as you see yourself as I'm just an old sinner saved by grace and my salvation doesn't take place until I go to heaven, well, then you'll never experience God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. But when you understand that you're completely new, that you were created righteous and truly holy. The word righteous is a complicated word, but my layman's definition is it means you're right. You're just right with God. You're right. God, you're now right with God. There's nothing standing between you and God. You are righteous and truly holy. If it says truly holy, that implies that there's false holiness. You know what false holiness is? All of your goodness, all of your religious, your self-righteousness, that is false holiness. Nobody can approach God on their own goodness and with their own credit. God is a spirit, John 4, 24. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The reason that we aren't connecting with God is because we are coming before him in the flesh, in the physical realm, in our emotions and saying, oh God, I haven't studied the word. I know I'm not the person that I should be. And we are talking about our physical body and your soulish realm. And because of that, you can't really connect with God. God is a spirit. And if you are going to truly have a relationship with him, you've got to get into the spirit. What is your spirit like? Right here's the mirror. Hold it up. It was created righteous and truly holy. Your spirit is righteous and truly holy. There isn't sin in your spirit. You aren't a sinner. You aren't an old sinner that got saved by grace. You were an old sinner, but you got saved by grace. And now you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Your spirit is identical to Jesus. Here's another verse in 1 John chapter 4. And in verse 17, it says, Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, speaking of Jesus, so are we in this world. It did not say as Jesus is, so are we going to be in the next world. This is what religion has taught us, that there are great things lined up for us, but it's all in a future life. This says, as Jesus is, so are we in this world. Now, what's that talking about? People look at this and think the Bible is so hard to understand. That's because they don't understand spirit, soul, and body. They don't understand that the real us is a spirit. It's in the spirit that you were saved. And they're trying to perceive it in the physical. They read this and say, as Jesus is, so am I. Man, Jesus was powerful. Jesus saw miracles happen. Jesus didn't sin. I sinned. Jesus had victory and joy. Jesus knew people's names, said Zacchaeus, come down and never seen him before and could operate and call his name. Jesus calls Lazarus out of the tomb and people look at Jesus and then they look in their physical body or in their emotional realm and they think, I'm not like Jesus. But you're true. That's true that in the physical body and in your soulish, you aren't like Jesus, but in your born again spirit, you are like Jesus in this world not in the world to come, in this world. Your spirit is identical to Jesus. Matter of fact, it says this over in Galatians chapter four, it says that because we are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our heart, crying, Abba, Father. You have the spirit of Jesus has become your spirit. You don't have your spirit plus the spirit of Jesus. 
God's spirit is your born again spirit. You have been resurrected with him and God's spirit is your spirit. The spirit of Christ is your born again spirit. They are one. They're identical. They're the same. A verse that says this is first Corinthians chapter six and verse 17. It says, he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. You know, we say that people are one in the sense that we say that they're in union with each other, like a husband and a wife become one or that I'm one with this person. And we mean that we have similarities and that we are running parallel to each other. But when you look up the Greek word that was used for one in 1 Corinthians 6, 17, it's hes, H-E-I-S. And it means a singular one to the exclusion of another. You don't have a spirit over here that's got a little bit of God in it. And it's like a seed that's growing and becoming more and more godly. And you're becoming more and more mature. Man, I know I'm countering a lot of stuff. I I could answer it. I just don't have time to answer it. But let me say that there is growth. And it does talk about as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. It's not your spirit that's growing. Your spirit is as Jesus is. So are you in this world. And he is not a baby that's growing. He is not improving. Your spirit is identical with him. You are one spirit. It's your soul that's growing. It's the renewing of your mind that is causing growth. It's not your spirit. It's your personality that's growing. Your spirit is complete. If you were to die right this moment, you don't get cleansed when you die and go to heaven. You don't get another injection of the Holy Ghost. You don't become all of a sudden a mature Christian and grow up. Your spirit is as perfect and as pure and as complete on the inside of you right this moment as it's going to be a million years in eternity. It is identical to Jesus. As Jesus is, so are you in this world. And he that's joined unto the Lord is one spirit. You are identical. If there are such things in the spiritual realm, you are ounce for ounce, molecule for molecule, identical to Jesus. Your spirit is identical to Jesus. Man, that's awesome. You know, when I got this truth, everything that God has shown me comes out of this. I couldn't understand how God could love me. That's because I was looking in the mirror and seeing all of my zits and things that are wrong with me and all of my failures. And I searching my emotions and I didn't love me. How could God, how could a holy God love me? That's because I didn't know who I was in Christ. God is seeing you. You're born again person and you are the most awesome creation he has ever made. You are identical to Jesus. You are as holy as Jesus. It is his righteousness that was given unto you. It was imputed. Man, if I had time, I could show you that the Bible teaches, 1 Corinthians 2, 16, you have the mind of Christ. People say, I don't have the mind of Christ. I can't even find my glasses and they're on my head. I can't remember where I left my car keys. Man, I don't have the mind of Christ. It's not talking about your little peanut brain right here. But in your spirit, you have the mind of Christ. First Corinthians, or first John chapter two, verse 20 says, you have an unction. That means a special anointing or an endowment from God. And you know all things. 
Somebody says, I don't know all things. With your little brain, you don't know all things, but your spirit man knows everything that God knows. You have the mind of Christ. And yet we go around saying, well, further along, I'll know all about it. I just don't know. And we confess ignorance because we are in the flesh. We are in the natural instead of in the spirit. It'd change your life if you begin to start thinking, I do know all things. I don't know it up here, but I've got it here. And if I've got it on the inside of me, wish I had time to teach on this. I'll say this quick. I usually spend about an hour and a half to two hours teaching this, but this is what speaking in tongues does. The Bible says when you speak in tongues, you are praying the hidden wisdom of God in a mystery. It says in 1 Corinthians 14, 14, your spirit is praying. The part of you that has the mind of Christ, that has an unction from the Holy One and knows all things. And 1 Corinthians 14, 13 says, if you pray in tongues, pray also that you interpret. So all you got to do, if you don't know what to do is just say, Father, thank you with my brain. I don't know what to do, but in my spirit, I've got the mind of Christ. And I'm going to pray in tongues and I'm going to draw this hidden wisdom out and speak it in a mystery. And I'm praying that I interpret so that it becomes a revelation to my brain. And you pray like that and God shows you supernatural things. This is how God's revealed the word to me. I'll take a passage of scripture that I don't understand. And I'll say, Father, I know that in my heart, I've got the mind of Christ. So the problem isn't in my heart in my spirit, it's in my brain. And I'll just pray in tongues and ask God for an interpretation. And God shows me what the word says. It's awesome. Man, people don't understand how powerful the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. When you start praying in tongues, it makes no sense to your brain. We've spent our entire life trying not to be foolish and to say things that embarrass us and make us look silly. And when you speak in tongues, you are saying things that make not a lick of sense to your brain. And that's precisely why it's so important. It wouldn't matter if you go loo, loo, loo. It doesn't matter what sounds you make. The fact is you are trying to communicate with God outside of your known language. You are talking from your heart. And to do that, more than just a word, more than a phrase, if you pray in tongues a long period of time, you've got to get beyond your natural man, your physical body and your mind, and you've got to start operating by faith or otherwise you'll quit because it makes zero sense. It's stupid. Praying in tongues pushes you into the spirit realm. It forces you to start saying, Father, this makes no sense, but I'm operating from my spiritual man. And that's precisely why it's so important. Some people are wanting God to prove to them that this is really logical and that this is a known language or something. The Bible talks about praying with the tongues of men and of angels. There have been known languages, but the majority of people don't pray in a known language. I've actually heard languages before that are nothing but clicks of the tongue. And that's a language. Whistles. The Wycliffe translators found people that all they do is whistle and they had to put that in a written language. Those are known languages. And we judge ourselves: is this really God or is this me? Man, it's you communicating out of your spirit regardless what it sounds like. And it pushes you into a realm of faith and it starts the flow of this born again part of you that's identical to Jesus. It pushes you into the spirit realm. And it's powerful, 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 much more powerful than what most people have ever understood. 
You have the mind of Christ. It's in your spirit and you got to draw it out through praying in tongues and studying the word and letting the Holy Spirit give you supernatural revelation. But in your spirit, you're identical to Jesus. You've already got joy and peace. The Bible says, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the spirit. And this is capital S, S standing for the Holy Spirit. But again, 1 Corinthians 6, 17 says, he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. So what is ever true of the Holy Spirit is also true of your born again spirit. You're one. You're identical. You're ounce for ounce, molecule for molecule, the same thing in the spirit realm. So if it's true of the spirit, well, then it's also true of you that you have love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. And yet the average person says, oh man, I don't have any faith. Oh God, give me faith. It says you've already got faith. It says in Romans chapter 12, verse three, that you have the measure of faith, not a measure of faith. I think it's the nearly inspired version that says a measure of faith, but the Bible says God has given every man the measure of faith. There's only one measure. He didn't give me a lot of faith in somebody else. He'd skipped you. There's only one measure. And Paul said in Galatians 2 20, that the life that he now lived, he lived by the faith of the son of God. Again, the not inspired version says faith in the son of God, but it in King James, it says you live by the faith of the son of God. And that same point is made in the 16th and 17th verses. It's not a mistake. We aren't living by putting faith in God. We are literally using his faith. When you got born again in your spirit, you have as much faith as Jesus has. The only thing is you got to get it out of your spirit and you got to renew your mind and you got to get your soul and your spirit into agreement. Your soul and spirit together make up your heart. Your spirit is more than just, I mean, your heart is more than your spirit. It's your spirit and soul combination. And that's why the Bible says you have to believe with all of your heart. Your spirit is always in faith, always in love, always in joy. But it's only when you get your mind aligned with it and believe with all of your heart that you see the power of God manifest. Your three parts, spirit, soul, and body. Your spirit is identical to Jesus. Your soul is whatever you believe it is. If you go by nothing but physical things and experiences, you're going to think you're a mess. You're going to be angry. You're going to be, you're going to feel this. I don't feel love for this person and stuff. But see, if you do that, if you go by your emotions, then your soul is in agreement with the physical natural realm. And that's two against one. You shut off the flow of the spirit. But if you could get your soul in agreement with your spirit and say, well, you know what? I want to punch this person's lights out. But I know that that's my soul. In the spirit, I love this person the way that Jesus loves them. And so I just choose to believe that and praise God, I bless them. And you just, you know, when you get your soul in agreement with your spirit, that's two against one and your body will just experience it. In your spirit, you've got the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Ephesians chapter one, verses 18 and 19 says that. You have raising from the dead power. It's not out there somewhere. I tell you, this truth that I'm talking about will just literally reverberate through every doctrine that you have. It will challenge everything that you believe. 
because the way that intercession is done in the body of Christ, God is out there and there's demonic powers that are blocking our prayers from getting up to God. And we got to pray through and we got to make a hole in the heavens so that our prayers can reach God. (laughs) You know, in the old Testament, there is an example of that in Daniel chapter eight and chapter nine, but that's in the old Testament before Jesus came, Satan blocked our prayers. There was spiritual warfare there, but you know what? In the new Testament, you don't need your prayers to get through the demonic blockage. People will say your prayers didn't get above the ceiling. You don't need your prayer to get above your nose. God's not out there. He moved inside. God's here. Praise God. This is why we bow our head when we pray is so we can look at the father and say, father, thank you, Jesus. This whole concept of getting your prayers past the devil and oh, we got to get up into a plane and into high places so we can do spiritual warfare in heavenly places. Man, how dumb can you get and still breathe? (laughs) That's all stuff that they don't understand that God moved on the inside of us. I've been in church my whole life and people pray. I think it's Isaiah chapter 64. Rend the heavens and come down, oh God. The problem with that is he rent the heavens and came down through Jesus. And for you to pray what was prayed in the Old Testament and say, rend the heavens and come down, it shows that you don't know that you're a new creature and that God now lives on the inside of you. You are as perfect and righteous and holy and pure as Jesus is. And you're praying wrong. And your mind isn't in agreement with the word of God, what it says about the spirit. You're over here. You're saying God come down because you don't feel him. Nobody shouted. Nobody's jumped a pew. You didn't have a goosebump go up and down your spine. Nobody said glory to God. Uh, and because of it, you haven't felt God. And so you say, oh God, we ask you to just come and be with us today. You know, I go to churches and churches get me in a back room and they say, oh, let's pray and ask God to anoint you today. And they pray over me. And you know, I'm so polite that I never say anything to them, but I don't ever agree with that. The Bible says the spirit of the Lord God is upon me, Luke 4, 18, because he hath anointed me. It says in second Corinthians chapter one, I believe it's verse 21, that he that hath anointed us is Christ. I'm already anointed. I don't need to ask God to anoint me. He would be unjust to call me to preach the word and let me do it in my own power. If God calls you to do something, I was an introvert that couldn't look at a person in the face. They would say hi to me and it'd be 10 minutes later before I could say hi back. (laughs) This is absolutely impossible for me to do what I'm doing. It is humanly impossible. And God would be unjust to call a person who's an introvert and scared of people to preach to millions and billions of people and ask me to do it in my own strength. If God says, come, there is enough power in that word to walk on the water. If God tells you to go lay hands on the sick, then you already are anointed and have the power to do it. And so instead of me going someplace and saying, oh God, come anoint me, which violates what the word says. See, I'm going, I don't feel the anointing. I don't have a tingling in my hands. I don't have goosebumps going up and down my spine. So I must not, God must not be here. You old carnal thing. (laughs) 
You know, the Bible says in Romans chapter eight that the carnal mind is enmity against God. It is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh are carnal, cannot please God. If you are a person who is trying to only discern God by your feelings and by your emotions, or you want to see a visible cloud, or you want to hear an audible voice, but if there is something in your five senses that you are trying to perceive God by your five senses, you are what the Bible calls carnal. Carnal doesn't just mean sinful. All sin is carnal, but not all carnality is sin. The word carnal just means of the five senses, or if you look it up in the Greek, it, it's the word sarx, S-A-R-X, and it literally means the flesh as stripped of skin. In other words, not just your skin, but it's talking about flesh or, you know, the word that carnal is translated from is carny. And it literally means uh, meat. When you say chili con carne, you're talking about chili with meat. It's the same word. So when you're talk, calling somebody carnally minded, you're calling them a meathead. You're just talking about a person who has no spiritual perception. You're only going by what you see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. And brothers and sisters, this is exactly where I was. You know what really occasioned this seeking the Lord and this whole problem I had in my life is on March the 23rd, 1968, I was carnal. And I was living for God as far as holiness went. I was living a holier life than most people but I was in a prayer meeting Saturday night. This is what I did for years with all of my friends, get together and pray from 10 o'clock till 11 o'clock on Saturday night. That'll give you an indication where I was. I didn't go out and run around with other people. I was 18 years old praying from 10 o'clock till 11 o'clock. And anyway, it's a long story, but the Lord just pulled back a curtain, showed me what a hypocrite I was, showed me that I had been trusting in my goodness and thinking that God owed me something because I had lived holier than other people. I was self-righteous and God showed me that. And when he showed me, some of you are going to think I'm lying, but I'm not. I was told that God's the one that killed my dad when I was 12 years old, that God's the one that caused trouble, that God smoked people and struck people dead. And when I saw how bad I was, some of you, I I wasn't bad. I've never said a cuss word in my life. I'll be 62 this month. I have never used a word of profanity in 62 years. I've never taken a drink of liquor. I've never smoked a cigarette. I've never tasted coffee. I've been Mr. Righteous. I've done all of these things. But you know what? I was trusting in that goodness and God showed me that I was a religious hypocrite and Pharisee trusting in myself and God showed me my hypocrisy and he dealt with attitudes of pride and arrogance and in front of the leaders of the church and my friends, I turned myself inside out. I confessed my thoughts my feelings, my emotions. I ruined my reputation. I was trying to be the holiest person around and I just totally ruined my reputation. But here's what I was thinking. I thought that when God showed me what a hypocrite I was, and I believe that the sin of self-righteousness is worse than homosexuality. 
I believe it's worse than adultery. It's worse than any sin because that's a sin saying, Jesus, I don't need you. I'm good enough on my own. And when the Lord showed me this and I repented of it, I thought God was going to kill me. I honestly did. I expected to die that night. I was in the presence of God. It's like when Peter saw the Lord, he grabbed his coat and put it around him and he was ashamed. Every time people saw the glory of God, Isaiah in the sixth chapter, he fell on his face and says, Oh God, depart from me. I'm a man of unclean lips and dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Not everybody has really been in the glory and in the presence of God, like what happened to me. But when it happens, every time you see it in the Bible, those people repented because instantly they knew that relative to God, they were vile and didn't deserve anything. And that's where I was. And man, I just repented of everything. I expected God to kill me, but before he killed me, I was going to confess everything I could think of so that hopefully I'd go to heaven when I died. And that was my logic. And I had probably never prayed more than 20 or 30 minutes in my life. But that night I prayed like an hour and a half or two hours confessing thoughts, lust, anything that had ever gone through me, I got it all out. And then I had nothing left to say. I was just in a puddle of tears in front of all the leaders of the church. Everybody had been listening to this. And I was just late. There's nothing left to say. And I expected God to kill me. Instead, there was a tangible love of God that came on me for four and a half months. I was caught up in the presence of God. I could feel emotionally the love of God. And it changed me, but it also nearly killed me. It nearly ruined me because it's like an addiction. Once I I don't have the words to describe to you what happened to me. There aren't words. I couldn't tell you what that was like, but I felt God. I felt his love tangibly, not just for a moment, but for four and a half months. I never slept more than an hour at a time. I didn't eat a meal. I would eat something, but I never sat down and ate a meal. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't function. My whole life was just turned upside down. But after four and a half months, the emotion left, which it always will. God doesn't want you living like that. I have no idea why God did with me what he did. And I've had people since then come up and say, would you please pray for me that God would touch me like that? No, I wouldn't pray that because it'll destroy you. God doesn't want you living by the flesh and going by emotions and perceiving him just in the physical natural realm. He has done it on occasion. He can talk in an audible voice. He can do all kinds of things, but that is not the way that God wants to relate to you. God is a God of faith. It says in Hebrews eleven six that without faith, it's impossible to please him. God could give every one of you a buzz so that I mean you were just overwhelmed with God's love for you, but it's not going to happen very often. And you know what? Since that time, it hasn't happened to me that way. God could have a bird land on every person's shoulder and tell you that he loves you and here's what I want you to do. And he, God could have a dog walk up and bark out your name and tell you what he's called you to do. God could reveal himself in ways that it would take no faith for you to recognize him, but that is not the nature of God. When Jesus came to this earth, he didn't come on a 747 or a space shuttle and prove to everybody 
He was God. He came and he was born in ways that if you looked at him, you would have thought he was a natural baby. He didn't come out of the womb speaking Hebrew. He couldn't control his bowels. He was a baby. Who would have ever thought that God would do that? It took faith to believe that this is God. Fall down in front of a baby and worship him. When he rose from the dead, I can guarantee you, I wouldn't have appeared to Mary Magdalene first. A woman who was demon possessed and an outcast of society. I'd have appeared to Herod or Pilate. I'd have woke him up and said, Pilate, are your hands clean now? Man, <laughs> I'd have gone to those soldiers who blindfold me and slap me and said, prophesy if you're the Christ. I'd have appeared to them and said, would you like me to tell you your name and everything about you? <laughs> you know, Jesus, he could have just hovered over Jerusalem and every person in Jerusalem had seen him crucified. All he had to do is, do, and he could have made every person become a believer. Jesus never appeared to one person who wasn't already a believer after his resurrection. He could have forced people into it, but that is not the nature of God. God loves faith. He wants you to exercise faith and believe it from your heart, not believe it because you've seen it, tasted it, heard it, smelled it, or felt it. He wants you to operate in faith. And God doesn't want you living on an emotional plane. It becomes addictive. And you know what occasioned all of the problems in my life is after that four and a half months and the feelings wore off, I was ruined. How do you ever go back to being normal? I was ruined. I thought, God, I can't live like this. I cannot live without this emotional feeling. And uh, I immediately got drafted and sent to Vietnam, which turned out in retrospect to be one of the best things God ever did because he separated me from everybody. I didn't meet a single Christian in Vietnam, except the ones that I led to the Lord and got born again. I was a chaplain's assistant and none of my chaplains were Christians. They'd get drunk and they'd strip naked up there with the hooch maids and try and have sex with them and do stuff. And those are the chaplains that I worked with. I never met a Christian except the ones that I led to the Lord and I didn't have anybody to influence me. And in Vietnam, I was so hungry to feel God and to get back into the glory that I spent 13 months asking God to kill me because I figured you couldn't live that way here on this earth. So I just wanted to die and go to be with the Lord. And I nearly died twice in one day. And I decided I really wasn't as excited about that as I thought I was. <laughs> Amen. And I thought, you know what? I think I'd rather live. And uh, how do you live? So out of desperation, I lived in a bunker that was wallpapered on the ceiling and walls with nude pictures of women doing terrible stuff. And I couldn't even open my eyes. So I just stuck the Bible in front of me like this. And man, I just read. It was just, I couldn't even read and put the Bible down and look around. I just read like this. And for 10 to 15 hours a day for 13 months, I just read and read and read. And this is, I was crying out and said, God, how do I get this feeling back? And oh, you know, you used to love me. What did I do to cause it to leave? See, if you get into feelings and if God was to indulge your emotions and give you the buzz that you want, Well, then the next morning you'd get up and say, oh God, yesterday was awesome. I expect the day to even be better. And if, unless you get something bigger, you'd say, oh God, what's wrong? Are you disappointed with me? And you would become addicted to feelings and emotions. And God doesn't want you to do that. 
He wants you to walk by faith. So one of the reasons God doesn't give you the things that you're desiring is because it would be indulging your flesh and just making you more carnal to where you're more controlled by the physical feelings, emotional realm. And I was praying, oh God, how do I get this feeling? And this is when the Lord began to tell me, he said, Andrew, I have never left you. I love you more than when you felt that you were only feeling a tiny bit. You in your physical body could not indulge the true love of God. This is the reason the Bible says no man can see God and live. Not because God's going to kill you if you see him, but God is so awesome that you can't handle God in your physical body. If you were to truly see the glory of God, if all of the limits were taken off, if all of the filters were removed, you would just instantly vaporize in the presence of God. He is so awesome. And he showed me that I didn't understand all of his love. I just got a tiny taste of it. And he says, my love for you is inside of you all of the time, a million times greater than what you've ever felt. And instead of going by feelings, you just need to believe it. And I began to study these things and realize that in my spirit, I had love and joy and peace. And even when it felt like God was a million miles away, that didn't mean he wasn't there. It just meant I was in the flesh. I was going by feelings and he's a spirit and he's got to be perceived in the spirit realm. And I began to change from being carnal to where I was dominated by my five senses to where I started being dominated by what the word of God says, because the word is spirit and it is life. It is telling you what's going on in the spirit. And I just begin to start taking what the word says. The word says that I can do the same works that Jesus could do. I don't feel that. I can't look in a mirror and show you that I've got the same anointing. There isn't, you know, everybody's wanting to say, is there a glory cloud in this meeting? Do you have an anointing, a halo around you? Is there some kind of an aura? And people are always trying to tell me that they've seen something and done all of this. But you know what? I don't care about it. Jesus never had a glory cloud in his meeting. <laughs> Jesus had the Shekinah glory of God up on the Mount of Transfiguration with three disciples, but he, it never appeared to the public. I don't care to have anything that Jesus didn't have. I don't care if there's any feathers falling out of the sky or if my palms sweat oil or all of the other things, or if there's gold dust. <laughs> I had somebody come up to me and show me their Bible and says, look, gold dust on my Bible. And I said, yeah, it is. <laughs> didn't go over very well. (laughs) But people are always wanting something tangible. Oh, look, God is with me because you can see it. You can feel it. You're carnal. Now, does God do things like that? Yes. I've had physical experiences, but it's carnal. And those things are inferior to the spiritual realm. If you're going to mature and become a mature Christian, you got to get beyond the carnal and you got to get to where God's word says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So whether you see anybody jump a pew, scream or shout or yell or anything else, God's word says he's here where two or three are gathered together in my name. There I am in the midst. And you start going by what the word of God says instead of by what you feel. The Bible says that by his stripes, you were healed. But your body says, no, I'm not healed. And I've got a doctor's report right here that proves I'm not healed. All a doctor can do is search your body. A doctor can't even search your soul. They're limited to just the physical realm. And they're only going to tell you what they see in your physical body. They can't tell you what you've got in the spirit. 
But Ephesians 1, 18 and 19 says, you have the same power that raised Christ from the dead already in you. You don't need it to come through the demonic things. You don't need to pursue it. You've already got it. You need to renew your mind, get your mind into agreement with your spirit, and then your physical body will just experience the results. It's that simple. It's a simple majority, two against one. You get your spirit and soul in agreement, your body's got to respond. It says in Romans chapter eight, verse six, that to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. That's an, that's an absolute, it's an axiom. Carnal mindedness equals death. Spiritual mindedness equals life and peace. I can tell you whether you've been carnally minded or spiritually minded by what's happening in your body. If I went to your house, I don't have to see what you plant in your garden. Just let me see what's growing in it. And I'll tell you what you planted because things only come from seeds. If you're depressed and discouraged and fearful and just bummed out and all of these other things, sick, poor, that's carnal mindedness. That equals death. But spiritual mindedness, which is word mindedness, seeing who you are in Christ, thinking on who you are only equals life and peace. I have people all the time say, oh, I'm doing everything the word says. I believe everything. I'm, I, everything's perfect. And yet I'm getting this bad results. That's like saying I planted peas, but there's corn growing. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. If you got peas, you planted them or you let somebody else plant them. If you've got depression and discouragement, you've been meditating on things other than who you are in Christ. You meditate on who you are in Christ. You see yourself that as Jesus is, so am I. I have the same power that raised Christ from the dead. I am loved of God the same way that Jesus is loved of God. He thinks the same about me that he thinks about Jesus because it is his spirit that's in me. I am as Jesus is in this world. You go to thinking that way and I dare you to be depressed. You can't be depressed thinking that way. To be depressed, you got to forget this and you got to say, but I I can't focus on that. You don't understand. I've had this problem. They're going to repossess that. And you're thinking on something else. To be depressed, you got to think on depressing things. And there's nothing depressing in what God has done and what he's made you. In Christ Jesus, you are absolutely perfect and awesome. And if you're depressed, if you're discouraged... If you're full of unbelief, it's because you don't know who you are in Christ. You've been meditating on other things. You are carnal. You are being dominated and controlled by your feelings. And you know, this ought to just thrill people. And some people it does. But you know, a lot of people get mad when I preach this because I'm stripping you of all of your excuses. We have bought in to psychology And there are people right here in this room saying, but you don't understand. I'm a victim. I can't help it. I can't control it. And you take great comfort and solace. And this is how you've dealt with failure in your life. An absolute tragedy is to say, I can't help it. And I I just can't help it. And what I'm doing is saying, no, you greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You are above only and not beneath. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. The works that Jesus did shall you do also. And I'm saying you've already got everything that you need. You don't need to get rid of the demonic powers that are blocking it. All you got to do is get rid of the junk that's in your brain that's blocking it. And by doing this, it strips you of your excuses 
And it takes away all of the reasons why you are able to explain your failure. And people, rather than embrace that and change, will sit there and get mad at me because I'm saying, you're saying it's my fault. Yep, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm not saying you're necessarily a bad person, but I'm saying, you know, that we have this bumper sticker that says, uh, what you don't know won't hurt you. That's not true. What you don't know is killing you. Ignorance is costly. My people perish for a lack of knowledge. And because we are trying to get God to do something that he's already done. You know, it just doesn't work that way. You know, if I come up here, Dannon. Here, I give Dannon my Bible. And then Dannon looks at me and says, Andrew, would you please let me read your Bible? Would you please give me your Bible? How do you respond to somebody who's already got what they're asking for? I probably wouldn't know what to say. I just think, Dannon, <laughs> you run my Bible school. What's wrong with you? Amen. If you've already got it, why are you asking for it? Give me my Bible. Thanks. Thank you. But see, that, that's what God is doing. We're saying, oh God, heal me. And he's saying, I said that by my stripes, you were healed. It's already done. And we say, oh, but no, you hadn't healed me because I got a doctor's report proving that I don't have it. All that doctor's report's doing is checking your body. It doesn't check whether or not you have the resurrection power of God in you. You were healed. You have raising from the dead power. And if you would get to where you are more focused on what God's word says, than you are what the doctor says, than what your test says, then it'd be two against one and your body would have no option but to be well. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. What I'm preaching is as simple as what I'm saying. But this is the hardest thing you will ever do in your life is get to where you go by what the word says about you instead of what you see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. It, it is not easy to get beyond when your body is hurting and your body is screaming, no, you aren't healed. You're dying. It's worse than it was yesterday. The hardest thing you'll ever do is to say, I don't care what I feel. This is what God's word says. And it doesn't happen accidentally. You have to pursue it. Jesus said that that kind of unbelief only comes out by prayer and fasting. It takes seeking God. It takes getting into the spirit realm where you are doing things and you can get to where you exercise your spirit so that it's just as strong as what you see. I know some of you think that's weird. There's people that listen to what I'm saying. They think you're weird, but I think you're weird. I think if you're just going by what you feel and what things look like in the natural, you're weird. You're only playing with half a deck. There is a spiritual world here. There's some of you that can sit there and say, oh, we had a thousand people and it was hot or it was cold or it was this or that. And yet you don't have a clue what is going on in the spirit realm. But according to the scripture, there are millions and millions and millions of angels in this room. There are demons in this room. There is a spiritual world and there's a spiritual you on the inside. And yet 
most people live so much in the natural physical realm that this is just foolishness to them. They can't do it. But yet the Bible, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 18, we look at those things that can't be seen. People think, how do you see something if it can't be seen? You see with your heart. He says, we walk by faith, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, not by sight. That is the normal Christian life. But the normal Christian today walks by sight and not by faith. I have people that all the time come up for prayer and I pray for them. And then they say, oh man, I'm going to go to the doctor and see if God healed me. I'm not against you going to the doctor. If it wasn't for doctors, all the Christians would have been dead. So I'm not against doctors. But I'm just saying that, you know what, if you aren't going to believe that you're healed until the doctor verifies it, then the vast majority of you aren't going to ever have the doctor verify because you weren't in faith. You have to believe something that you can't see. You have to get to where it's just real. You know, I heard a testimony about a woman who was at a convention and she had a huge goiter on her neck and she came forward for prayer and they prayed for her and commanded that thing to go. And she stood up in front of the whole convention and said, Jesus healed me of a goiter tonight. And everybody understood that sometimes when God moves, it's like when he cursed that fig tree, it takes 24 hours for what happened to become visible. And they were willing to give her a little bit of mercy. And so everybody applauded and said, praise God, this woman's goiter's healed. The next year she came back to the same conference And she stood up and she said, this is the one year anniversary of Jesus healing my goiter. And yet that thing was still big right here. And people were shocked. Nobody praised God. Nobody clapped. They thought this is not good. She came back the next year and she got up and she says, tonight is the two year anniversary of Jesus healing my goiter. And she just started praising God. And people thought this woman is delusional. She's crazy. And they went and talked to the leaders of the conference and says, you can't let that woman get up and testify again. She's testifying that she's healed and it's obvious that she's not healed. And so the leaders came and told that woman, you can't testify. You aren't healed. And so she got in prayer that night and she says, Jesus, I know you healed me. I believed I was healed two years ago tonight, but these people can't believe I'm healed because they see this. And she says, Jesus, I don't doubt you, but would you please take that thing away so that these people who can only believe what they would see will believe that you really heal me? And she got up the next morning and stood there and says, I told you I was healed and that thing was totally gone. Amen. Now, I'm not saying that we should live and just go around confessing we're healed when there's no evidence of it in our body. But I'm saying what a great attitude that to her, she didn't care whether the physical thing left or not, she had it. She saw that she was healed and to her, that was real. You can get to where what you see by faith is more real than what you feel in your body. I'm going to quit with this story. I, I could, this is all I ever teach. I just put a different name on it and call it a better way to pray. I talk about the authority of the believer And I name it different things, but I teach this same thing as all I ever teach. I gave away all of my secrets. So I can talk about this forever, but let me give you one last example of this and I'll end with that. But we held a a meeting for our Bible school about, I don't know, four or five years ago or something. And there was a center aisle in this uh, hotel, just like this. I was sitting in that chair, just like where I was sitting tonight. 
And over on this side, there was double doors like this. There was only about 200 people, 300 people in this meeting, but there were double doors like this and they were on closers so that they closed real slowly and stuff. And Jamie was up worshiping the Lord and it was absolutely awesome. There was a manifested presence of God. People were just worshiping God and it was awesome. And I was standing there with my eyes closed, just worshiping the Lord. And in my heart, I saw Jesus walk through those doors right over there. And he just took those doors and threw them back like that. And they just flung open. He stepped in and then just stood there and those doors closed slowly behind him. And I watched this and then he stood there and looked at the group for a while. And then there was these two friends of mine from our Chicago school over on that side. And he walked over and just touched this one woman on the forehead. And I mean, instantly that woman just fell flat on her face, her arms out like this, just worshiping God. And then he skipped two people. He walked over and touched this other woman and she hit her knees and just put her hands up like this and began to worship God. And what I was seeing in my heart with my eyes closed was so real that I opened up my physical eyes to see if I could see it in the natural. And when I opened up my eyes at that moment, those doors just flung open and there was nobody there. They just flung open and then they closed. I couldn't see Jesus, but I could see those doors just closing slowly. And then I looked and that woman that I had seen him touch, all of a sudden she just fell flat on her face with her arms out like this, worshiping God. And then two people down, this other woman hit her knees and lifted up her hands. And you know what? Everything that I had seen in my heart by faith, I could see with my eyes, except I couldn't see the spiritual realm. All I could do was see the physical realm and the results of it. And it was about 15 or 20 seconds delayed. Plus I couldn't see Jesus. I could see him with my eyes closed. So you know what I did? I closed my eyes. <laughs> I could see better with my heart than I could see with my eyes. And I saw the Lord come over and stand next to me and say some things to me. And then I saw him walk down this center aisle and just start touching people and saying some things to him. And after the meeting, I went up to the people that I saw with my eyes closed him touch. And I didn't say anything to him. I just said, what happened to you? And they told me exactly what he had said to them. Same thing that I heard. And did you know you can do that? Every person in here, you can operate in the spirit to where you know things by the spirit and you can actually see better with your spirit than you can see with your eyes. When I moved into this last building, it was an old warehouse. It was destroyed and torn up. And I believed God and I put tape on the floor and imagined things. I would walk and, and act like a door was there and open that door and walk through. I never stepped over the tape where the walls and stuff were because I was seeing that thing built out and we didn't have the money to do it. It was an absolute miracle. But you know what? I saw, and I saw that building. I put buckets up and plywood on it. And I stood here and I preached when there was not a person in there. I'd preach at 10 and 11 o'clock at night to people that weren't there. I saw that thing full. I saw these things. And it was so real to me that did you know what? When we moved into the building and it was done and it was debt free, everybody else was just shouting and praising God like, look what the Lord had done. And I was like, oh man, I've already seen this for months. Let's go on to something new. You can get to where seeing my faith is better than seeing it in the natural. When you see it in the natural, that's no big deal. I've already seen it. 
I got to where I was seeing people raised from the dead. I'd dream about it every night. I would raise 10 or 15 or 20 people from the dead every night for months, meditating on John 14, 12. And I did it so many times that when I finally saw the first person raised from the dead, it wasn't that big of a deal. I'd already done it. I know some of you think I'm weird, but I think you're weird. Amen. If this is not the way you're living, you aren't walking by faith. There is a spiritual you and you have to get to where you can see it by faith. And you don't do that by sitting in the lotus position and just going, um, and trying to somehow or another get into meditation. I'm not talking about that kind of thing. You access the spirit realm through the word of God. And whatever it says about you is true. If God says that you are identical to Jesus as he is, so are you, then just believe it. And you won't be able to see it in the mirror and you won't be able to feel it with your hands and you won't be able to feel it with your emotions, but just believe it and go and start saying as Jesus is. So am I, I am created in righteousness and true holiness. Whatever Jesus did, I can do because I believe in him. Start speaking these things. I have the raising from the dead power on the inside of me. It's not out there. It's already here. By his stripes, I was healed. I'm not going to be healed. I was healed. It's already in me. And now I release it. You go to thinking that way and you will go to experiencing a different life. You'll quit being intimidated. When the doctor says you're going to die, you'll think, bless his little pudding heart. He just doesn't know. All that guy can do is see what's in the physical realm He can't see the real me. And you'll feel sorry for the guy and say, you know, you're doing the best you can. That's fine, but you don't know. I've got raising from the dead power on the inside of me. I did a treadmill test and the guy, I witnessed to him about the Lord and told him about my son being raised from the dead. And then the guy got to looking at my thing and started, you know, like doctors grunting and looking in. Mm, and he wrote it. He says, here, you go over and see this guy right now. Don't you go back to your office. You go straight over there. We're going to put you in the hospital. We may do open heart surgery on you today. <laughs> and I just looked at that guy and I said, that's a lie. I don't believe any of this. And he looked at me. Doctors aren't used to people telling them that they're lying. <laughs> And I said, you look at that piece of paper and tell me that that says I got a heart problem. He says, well, it really doesn't. It just, you were off one hundredth of a point in one place. Everybody's heart's a little different. There may be nothing wrong with you, but I think you ought to go over and get it checked. I said, that's not what you told me. You told me I had a serious heart problem and I was going to have to have open heart surgery possibly before the day was over. I said, you lied to me. I said, you're trying to, you're telling me worst case scenario. And I got on this guy's case. And I told him, how dare you speak these things over me? He tore that paper up and he said, leave. (laughs) He says, you're fine. Go. And he flunked me and I didn't get the insurance. And I had to go get another test by a doctor who's on my board. And he did a stress test and struck this nuclear dye in me and stuff. And it turns out I got the heart of a 17 year old. There's nothing wrong with me. And he says, oh, those treadmill tests are wrong 50% of the time. Don't ever go by a treadmill test. And yet there's a lot of people in here that because you are more moved by the natural than you are by the spiritual, you would let some, 
it just amazes me. People come, some people have come up to me this week and said, I've got this and this and this wrong with me. And I say, how do you know? And they say, well, I don't have any symptoms. It's what the doctor told me. And I thought, why are you going to let the doctor tell you something? You don't even feel bad. I said, why do people do this? I don't let a doctor tell me I've got a serious heart problem. If I flunk a treadmill test, I know who I am in Christ and praise God. If there is something wrong with this body, I'll make it get right. When you understand what I've talked about, it makes you think differently instead of seeing that, well, I'm a nobody and what can I do? You'll say, I am the righteousness of God. I got God almighty living on the inside of me. And instead of having an inferiority complex, you'll have a superiority complex. How dare the devil touch my body? How dare dare the devil touch my finances? I'm blessed and not cursed. And you'll go to thinking differently. And instead of begging God to give you something you've already got, you'll just start thanking him for what you've got. Your faith will rise and you'll be more blessed accidentally than you ever were on purpose before. Amen. Amen. Praise God for Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. What I've shared tonight is shared a lot more in detail on my teaching, Spirit, Soul, and Body. If you hadn't got that, even if you've got it, and if you hadn't changed, you need to listen to it again. Because I can guarantee you, if you got this revelation, this changed my life. I'll never be the same. You can't be the same. I'm not just an old sinner that's been saved by grace. I got saved by grace and now I am the righteousness of God. And my flesh is still flesh, but my spirit is spirit. And it is the righteousness of God. It has everything in it that he has. And I tell you, it's changed my approach towards life. Amen. Some of you think that, man, you're delusional. Well, don't wake me up because it's working. (laughs) Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You know, I want to give you an opportunity tonight if you aren't born again to receive it. See, this, if you understand this, you can apply this to everything. Some people think, well, what's the difference between a Christian and a Muslim or a Buddhist or Islamic or whatever? It's just you believe something. No, when you get born again, you literally have that part of you that was dead and separated from God because of sin taken away and you become a new person in Christ. There isn't another religion on the face of the earth that has any concept like this. You don't become a different person. Your insides aren't changed. Every other religion is somehow or another you trying to earn your way to God and appease an angry God. But true Christianity is Jesus bore all of God's wrath. And when you receive him, you become a new person. And now everything you need is on the inside of you. Man, it's different. If you haven't experienced that, you need to be born again. You need to become a new person. And maybe now you understand, maybe you've been going to church and thinking that, well, I'm a good person and I do as well as I can. Isn't that enough? No. Have you become a new person? Are you changed on the inside? Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than sitting in a garage would make you a car. If you're a car, you ought to get into a garage for your own protection. If you're a Christian, you ought to go to church for your own edification and help. But you know what? It doesn't make you a Christian. You must be born again. You need to be changed. If you haven't experienced that change, it's so simple. Jesus has already done it. All you've got to do is receive it. 
we'll give you an opportunity tonight to receive that. And also when you get the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it is so important. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is what gives you access to this spiritual realm. I talked about speaking in tongues, that when you speak in tongues, you're praying the hidden wisdom of God. It's your spirit praying. You need this gift of praying in tongues. Praying in tongues is kind of like a can opener that just opens up all that God is. It starts the supernatural flow of God. If you can't speak in tongues, then I can guarantee you, you are shut off from the great revelation and so much of what God wants to do in your life. You must receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and this gift of speaking in tongues. You don't have to receive it to go to heaven, but you have to receive it to walk in the supernatural spiritual realm. It's absolutely true. We've had, I don't know, close to 200 people in the last two services already received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But I know that there's new people here tonight. And if you don't have this baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, or if you aren't born again and you'd like to receive that, I'd like you to raise your hand and I want to pray with you and we're going to help you to receive tonight. If that's you, if you need to receive either one of those, raise your hand. Here's some people back here. Here's people back there. Praise God. Awesome. Here's people over here. If you raised your hand or if you were supposed to raise your hand, but didn't do it, would you just get up out of your chair and come forward and let us minister to you right now and help you to receive. Let's praise God for all of these. Amen. As they come forward, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And this is awesome. You know, like I said, we've probably had 200 people receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And yet there's new people here tonight. And I tell you, this is going to change your life. It's going to change your life. You know, I know that there's people here that this is new to you. There's a lot of people that come to my meetings that don't expect me to be one of these tongue talkers because I don't act like the ones on television. I don't scream and yell and have a handkerchief wiping my sweat off and all of this stuff. And there's people that come here and you don't know what you're getting into. But I tell you, I speak in tongues. It changed my life. It's absolutely of God and it is something that's good for you. And so even if this is new to you, I encourage you to please come and and check this out. Ask God for it. It is not bad. It's good. God won't give you anything bad. Some of you are afraid if I got this, they'd kick me out of my church. Well, man, I've been kicked out of a lot of churches. But you know what? I wouldn't trade anything for what God has given me. My son was raised from the dead because I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. And that's worth more than being in any church. There's some of you that are holding on to these carnal things. And yet God has spoken to you in your heart tonight. You say, man, I need this. This is something that I want. And yet I'm telling you what produces it. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is what released this revelation in my life. It's what gave me power. It's what's changed my life. The Word of God came alive because I received the Holy Spirit. And some of you like the fruit, but you don't like the root. That doesn't make sense. Whether this goes along with your theology or not, I'm telling you that this is what's changed my life. And if you want the results that 
I'm talking about that God has done for me, then you need to come and receive the thing that God did in my life to help me get those things manifest. Amen? You won't regret it. I can promise you none of you will regret it. It'll be the best thing that ever happened to you. I believe that this is going to change your life more than the initial born-again experience. That's what happened with me. When I got born again is when God came into my life, but when I received the Holy Spirit is when He began to come out of my life and flow through me and do things. It's powerful. It's going to change your life. Is there anybody up here who's not born again or you aren't sure if you've truly been born again, whether or not you become a new creature? You've got to, first of all, receive Jesus as your personal Savior before you can receive salvation. Is there anybody who's not sure? Are you coming forward for salvation? You don't know. Is it your mom that's pushed you up here? You know, that won't work. I know you want to get him born again, but it won't work by you. You can't get him born again by proxy. You got to believe this. You got to want it. If you aren't willing to make a commitment of your life to the Lord, you can't be born again. You need to, but you can't do it. Is there anybody here who says, I'm not born again, but I need to be, I want to be. Anybody? Anybody who's not sure of it and you want to pray with me? Anybody? Praise God. Well, you know what? Oh, somebody got their hand up? This young man? You know, we had a seven-year-old boy get born again this morning and he was just transformed. How old are you? Six. Well, I think that's old enough. I was eight when I got born again. Isn't that great? You know what? Jesus has already forgiven you of everything you've ever done wrong or ever will do wrong. He's already provided it and all you got to do is receive that salvation. And the way you do it, the Bible says, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Are you willing to do that? Do you believe that Jesus loves you? Amen. I'm going to lead you in a prayer and I want you to pray after me. And I'd like to ask everybody in here to pray this same prayer. And if you will mean this, you can't just say the words and it works automatically. You got to mean it. But if you will mean this from your heart, then you are going to become a brand new person on the inside. And Jesus is going to live in your heart. Is that good? Awesome. Let's say this. Say, Father, I'm sorry for my sin. I believe you've already forgiven my sin. And I receive that forgiveness. Jesus, I make you my Lord. I believe that you are alive. That you now live in me. I am saved. I am forgiven. In the name of Jesus. Amen. You believe that? You believe Jesus lives in your heart? Awesome. Man, isn't that great? That is so simple that a six-year-old can be born again. I was born again when I was eight years old. And the next day in school, they made fun of me for being a Christian. I was changed. I got changed. You know, you're different. You still are the same height. But you know what? On the inside, you're completely different. God now lives on the inside of you. Isn't that awesome? Praise God. Thank you, Jesus.
And so now every person up here, according to the Bible, he just became the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's what it says. Every person who's been born again is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so he is now the temple of the Holy Spirit, as are you. What this means is this is what God created you for. He's not going to not give you the Holy Spirit. Some people believe that it works for me or somebody else, but you just aren't sure God will do it for you. God created you for this. Your spirit is meant to dwell, house the Holy Spirit. And so you don't have to beg. You don't have to plead. Some people will tell you that you got to be holy and you can't have any sin in your life. That's not true. The reason that you need the Holy Spirit is so you can overcome. You can't get holy on your own. So don't let some sense of unworthiness stop you. We aren't going to beg. We're just going to open up the doors of this temple and say, Holy Spirit, have at it. Live in me. Dwell in me. I want your power. And then I'm going to ask our prayer ministers to come up here. And these are people who already have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In the Bible, it says that the disciples laid hands on people and the Holy Spirit came upon them. So we're going to ask, and then they're going to lay hands on you and release this power of the Holy Spirit to come into your life. And then after they do that, I want you to quit asking and just believe that God gave you the Holy Spirit. And like I talked tonight, don't be carnal. Don't try and feel it. Don't wait on a flash of light or a goose bump. Just believe it. It's in the Spirit that you receive the Holy Spirit. And so just believe it. So we're going to ask, they're going to lay hands on you. And then I want you to quit asking and start out of your own mouth, thanking God for giving you the Holy Spirit. I want you to say it out loud and start thanking him. And at that time, after they lay hands on you, I want you to lift your hands. Because when you lift your hands like this, the Bible says you bless the Lord. This pleases God. It's like when somebody sticks a gun in your back and you go, I surrender. I yield. It's your way of surrendering and saying, God, I give up. I receive. It's your spiritual antennas. Amen. And the power of God's going to come. And then we're going to start speaking in tongues. Those of us that have the gift are going to start speaking in tongues. And when we do, I want you to quit thanking him in English and start thanking him in tongues and start speaking in another language. And I know some of you are thinking, well, how do you do it? What do you do? I've got a book that will explain this in a lot of detail, but it's not something that forces itself on you. You have to choose to speak in tongues. The Bible says in Acts 2, 4, they spoke with tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance or the inspiration. It's like when I talked tonight, I spoke. God didn't take my mouth and make it speak. He didn't possess me. That's the reason it came out in Texan. It came out with my sense of humor. It was me talking, but God inspired it. Speaking in tongues is the same thing. You have to talk in tongues. You can't talk in tongues with your mouth closed. You got to open your mouth. You got to make sounds and believe by faith that God is inspiring it. And once you get your attention off of yourself and really focus on God, you'll find it just flows out of you. It's really you speaking, but it's inspired, energized by the Holy Spirit. And God will prove to every one of you that it is Him giving the inspiration. But you have to start speaking and making sounds. And anyway, I'll explain the whole thing in this book. But if you're ready, you can pray in tongues with us right now. It's really that simple. Amen. The Bible says believers will speak in new tongues. I want you to say, I'm a believer. 
And I will speak in tongues. Amen. Father, I thank you. And I thank you that all of these are born again. Thank you for our little brother that got born again tonight. That we're changed. We are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. So, Father, we open up the doors of our temple. And Holy Spirit, we want your power. We want your ability to help us get beyond our flesh and our feelings. And we want to start flowing in the spirit realm. We want your power. We want this gift of speaking in tongues. We want to be able to pray from our spirit, not from our brain. So we welcome you. We ask you to come into our life now. We lay hands on you in the name of Jesus and say, receive the Holy Spirit. We loose this power of the Holy Spirit to flow into every one of you right now in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Father. Oh, here's the anointing, the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's lift those hands and start thanking God. I want you out of your own mouth to thank God and say, thank you, Father, that I am now filled with the Holy Spirit. Thank you that in my spirit realm, I have the same creative power that created the heavens and the earth living on the inside of me. Thank you. I am filled with the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Now, those of you who know how to pray in tongues, let's pray in tongues. And as we speak in tongues, I want those of you down here to just take a step of faith and begin to start speaking. If you don't know what to say, you can say what, or try and say what you hear the person behind you say. But your tongue is going to be unique to you. It's not going to be the same as somebody else. But you got to start talking. Once you start and it comes out different, just keep talking. Just keep talking. Don't worry about what it sounds like. Don't listen to yourself. You're praying to God. God is pleased with you. God is listening to it. The Lord inhabits the praises of his people. You're bypassing the doubt and the fear that's in your brain and you're praying out of your spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Just speak. You can't talk in tongues with your mouth closed. You got to open your mouth. You can't talk in tongues in English at the same time. Don't worry about what it sounds like. God's listening to your heart. Oh, the power of God's flowing. I think just about every one of these is praying in tongues. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Isn't that awesome? You're bypassing your fear, your lack of understanding. You're praying out of the spirit part of you that's just like Jesus, that has the mind of Christ. You're praying the perfect wisdom of God. And all you got to do is when you go home, just pray and ask God to give you understanding. God, what am I saying? And you'll start getting revelation knowledge. Praise the Lord. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Robert, are you speaking in English or tongues? Is it English? Are you praying in English? Well, you can't pray in English and tongues at the same time. Thank you, Jesus. Let me have your attention here for just a minute, if you would. I'm sorry to interrupt you, 
But you know what? It's really important that you understand what happened to you. What happened to you tonight is more important than any person here understands. I can promise you that. There's just no way to wrap our brain up around what's just happened. It's awesome. And you will spend the rest of your life learning how to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in receiving benefit from this. But you've got to understand what happened. The scripture says that if you don't understand, Satan comes immediately and steals away the word. So it is really important that you understand what's going on. And I've written the book and I've written down everything I know about this in there. And I promise you it'll help you. Also, when I first prayed for the Holy Spirit, I didn't speak in tongues immediately. It took me three and a half years to speak in tongues, but that's because I was a Baptist. And it just, I had so much fear about speaking in tongues that I had things I had to renew my mind over. But I've written it all in this book. I promise you it'll help you. And I want to give every one of you a free copy of this book and just help you. And and even if you didn't speak in tongues, I believe you'll be able to read this book and then do it because God gave you the Holy Spirit tonight. So this is Ashley over there, the man with his hand in the air. He's our good English friend. He's a blessing. And if you would just go with him, he's going to give you a book. They've got people that will pray with you and help you. It's just right across the hall. And we want to make sure you get full benefit out of this. Amen. Isn't that awesome? Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. God bless you. Man, isn't that great? Where'd our little brother go? Hey, you need that book? All right, you don't have to go back there, but you need this book. You got the book. All right, good enough. Amen. Read your mom's book. Praise the Lord. Isn't that great? You know, if we could have gotten born again and immediately heard this message about who we are in Christ, think what that would have done. Man, would it have saved us a few problems. Man, thank you, Jesus. Everybody needs to hear this. And I've only scratched the surface. I got a lot more that we're going to share about this. These are all of our prayer ministers right here. These are people that are filled with the Holy Spirit. They understand. They've heard a lot of this teaching. Melinda down here taught a lot of these same truths that we have this power. And all you do is take your authority and speak it. And these people are here to help me pray for you. I cannot pray for everyone. As a matter of fact, you know what? I don't, it's not even good for me to pray for you. There are people that have special anointings, gifts. Benny Hinn is one. There's others. I'm not against that, but I don't have that gift. My gift is teaching. And these people are all just as qualified as I am to lay hands on anybody. And the fact that people look to me and try and receive things just by me is many times a hindrance. You need to get beyond that and start recognizing that it's Christ in you that's the hope of glory. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And so I just want to encourage you not to think that I'm the only one that can pray for you. These people can pray for you. This man has a gift of healing that I don't have. There's a lot of these people down here that they're just very well qualified to pray for you. And so I want to ask that if you need prayer for anything, if your faith has been quickened, and if you just need an opportunity to act on it, I want you to come forward, let one of our prayer ministers lay hands on you. And we're going to have people stand at the aisles that will direct you towards someone so that everybody won't just go to one side. 
And I encourage you to come forward, believe God for a miracle, and we are going to see awesome, awesome things. This is the general, amen, that he's already come a long ways. He's believing God and he's going to get up out of this wheelchair and be walking. It's a miracle that he's alive. He had a bomb explode, but he's alive and he's going to get more alive. Isn't that good? Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Father, we agree. We receive these miracles. Thank you, Jesus. The rest of you, you're welcome to stay and pray with us. But if you need to go, you're free to go. Remember that we've got DVDs and CDs of the three services already duplicated. It would really do you good to pick those up and go back over them. And also, it's a good way to share it with other people. Don't forget that if you're a pastor, please sign up at the pastor's table. If you're looking for a church, please go get a list of the pastors that are in this area that have come and cooperated with us. Remember that we have services tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. and also at 6 p.m. Tomorrow night, the service is at 6 p.m., not 7. Praise God. Thanks for coming. God bless you. You're dismissed. Father, we just agree and we thank you for your will to heal every person down here. Every single one. Father, regardless of what's wrong, we thank you, Father, that your power is greater than whatever the sickness or the disease is. So we stand here. You said we lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So we are laying hands on the sick right now. And we are commanding healing to come into these bodies right now in Jesus' mighty name. Sickness, leave. Cancers, you leave. Infirmity, leave these people in Jesus' name. There's a number of people here that have been struggling with sleep. You know, a lot of people struggle with sleep. But I mean, this isn't just like you don't sleep as well as you used to. I mean, there's somebody here that is, uh, it is desperate. You really need a miracle in order to sleep. Something's wrong. If that's you, I want you to identify yourself. Stand and raise your hand so I can see who this is. If that's you, I want you to stand and raise your hand so I can see which ones it is I'm praying for. Praise God. Father, right now, for all of these that are standing with their hands in the air, I just release the healing power of God. I believe that right now you are giving sleep to your children. You said that we would lay down in peace and sleep for you, Lord, only make us dwell in safety. And Father, I just speak this. Whatever is stopping them from sleeping, if it is spiritual, if it's emotional, if it's physical, we command it to leave. Satan, I break your power. I command the worry and the fear to be gone. I speak peace over them. If there's something physical in their body, I just say that healing comes to them. And that, Father, tonight they are going to sleep supernaturally, that they are going to get rest, and that this is over. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We agree and we receive this. Thank you, Father. We not only go to sleep, but we're able to stay asleep and get a good night's rest, a deep sleep. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree and we receive it. And I believe 
that there's a miracle taking place in them now and that they are going to see the physical manifestation of this in their body. In Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all agree with that? Awesome. Awesome. I believe you're going to sleep like a baby. That doesn't mean waking up every two hours crying. Amen. I believe you're going to sleep supernaturally. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we just agree. Somebody here's got a knot on your chest. I specifically said a knot on your chest. I don't believe that this is like a lump that a woman has. This is a guy that's got a knot on your chest or something, and you need to be healed of that. Who is that? Right here. Brother, this is for you. There is the anointing of God flowing towards you right now. And whatever that knot is on your chest, it doesn't matter if it's cancerous or if it's benign, I command that thing to dry up, to leave, to be gone now in the name of the Lord Jesus. I loose the anointing of God to flow in your body. And Father, I thank you that that thing is cursed out of his body. His body is recovering, being healed supernaturally in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Jesus. Brother, I believe that's done. That thing's leaving you. Amen. I agree with you. You're healed right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Somebody here is dealing with all kinds of problems here in your wrist. On the inside of your wrist right here, you've been having pains. You know, I don't know if that's corporal tunnel syndrome, but anyway, it's right here in your wrist. Who's this that's having problems with your wrist? If that's you, I want you to stand and raise your hand so I can see who it is. Praise the Lord. Somebody here broke your wrist. That's that guy back there. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we just receive this and believe that your Holy Spirit right now is ministering to these people. Whatever is wrong with their wrist, this man that broke his wrist, I just speak supernatural healing through his body. Be healed. Now, pain, be gone. Discomfort, you be gone. Some of you have aches in this, and it's, uh, it's like arthritis or something beginning to set in. I break that power in you in the name of Jesus. Arthritis, you leave them. Be gone now in the name of Jesus. There it is. That thing's gone. And now, Father, I release the anointing of God to flow through their wrist and to repair whatever damage was done to it. We thank you that they are healed now in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Is there anybody that had pain before we prayed and your pain's already gone? Amen. Isn't that awesome? Is there anybody else? Did any of you have pain before we prayed? Anybody have pain before we prayed? Do you still have any pain? Nope, it's gone. Well, isn't that awesome? Praise God, they're already healed. You know, I believe that the Lord's healing somebody of gout right now. If you've had gout, I want you to stand. Here's the healing power of God. You're being healed right now. Who's this? Is this you? Anybody else here that's had gout? Is that you? Anybody else? Here's another one right here. Anybody else? I'm not asking you to do a lot, but I am asking you to stand and just take a step of faith. Say, that's me. I believe I'm receiving my healing. Anybody else? Father, I release your anointing right now towards these. And gout, I renounce you. I command you to get off of their body right now. 
Whatever causes that, leave them. Loose them. Let them go in Jesus' name. Pain, you leave them now. I command all of that pain to be gone out of their body and out of their mind that they'll quit thinking sick. They'll quit anticipating pain. They'll quit planning their life around it. Father, I thank you that they believe that right now your supernatural power is setting them free from this and their body has to respond. Father, we agree and we release this power right now. Pain, you be gone. Body, you be normal. Now, swelling, leave in Jesus' name. Father, we agree and we receive this miracle in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want you to begin to move around. Did you have pain, brother, before we prayed? How do you do now? You still got pain? No pain? Isn't that awesome? How about you, brother? You got any pain left? Pain's gone. How about this brother over here? Do you have any pain left? He's just in the presence of God. Did you have any pain before we prayed? Well, you don't have any now, do you? Amen. You aren't going to have any. I believe you were healed. Isn't that awesome? Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree and we receive all of these miracles now in the mighty name of Jesus. You know, somebody hears, I don't know what this is, but you got a problem right here in your cheeks. There's just pain in your cheeks right here. I don't know what causes that. I've never heard of this, but the Lord spoke to me and somebody here's got pain in both cheeks right here. It's in this area. And it's been causing you pain. I guess that could be sinuses. I don't know what it is. But you've got pain right here in your cheeks. If that's you, I want you to stand and identify yourself. God's healing you right now. Who is this? I know you're here. You know, I've called things out like this before and I've just stuck with it. Is this somebody back here? Are you the one with pain in your cheeks? Amen. Here's the anointing power of God right now flowing towards you. Father, whatever's wrong with this woman, I release your anointing right now to flow into her body. And I command the source of this pain to stop in Jesus' name. Pain, you stop in her right now in the name of Jesus. There it is. There's your freedom from this. And whatever the source of that pain was, be healed. Father, I loose your anointing to go to the core of that and recover whatever was causing her pain right now. And Father, we agree and we receive it. Believe she's healed in Jesus' name. Amen. How do you feel? You feel good? Give me a thumbs up if you feel good. Amen. Praise the Lord. Isn't that awesome? Well, that's how simple it is. Once you understand that you have God living on the inside of you, it's voice activated. You just begin to start speaking. The Bible says in Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. You can speak death to something that needs to die and get out of your body. And you can speak life to your body. It's really that simple. And the only variable is you got to believe it. You got to believe that when you speak, it comes to pass and it'll happen. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree and we receive all of these miracles. Thank you for touching people. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we receive these miracles. Thank you for touching people's bodies. Thank you for miracles taking place. 
Thank you for creative miracles taking place. Thank you, Father, that people have been paralyzed or not paralyzed, that the healing power of God is flowing in their body. Thank you, Father. Father, we agree and we receive these miracles. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody here has been fighting fatigue. You just are constantly fatigued. It's not normal. It's not because you've done something. You just are fighting like chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia or something. If that's you, I want you to stand. Raise your hand. Is that those? Is that you? Back here in the back, is that you? Anybody else? Fighting fatigue. Anybody else? Here's some right here. Praise God. This is your night to be healed. Stand up, brother. Let's receive this miracle right now. Father, we release your power to flow towards all of these. And whatever it is, it's causing this fatigue. Whatever is sapping their strength. Satan, we command you to loose them and to let them go now. I command this tiredness and fatigue to be gone. In Jesus' name, we curse that. And Father, we loose the life of God that's on the inside of us. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. We loose that resurrection life to flow through their body right now. I speak strength over these bodies. Strength in Jesus' name. Fatigue, you be gone. Thank you, Father. Boy, right here, many of you can feel the strength of God coming into you right now. Father, we receive it. Thank you for strength. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we receive this. Thank you that you are changing these bodies. And I speak life over them that from this time forth, their body is recovering. Whatever this was in them is gone. They're healed in the name of Jesus. Praise God. Father, we thank you. Thank you. Thank you that this is over. No more tiredness in Jesus' name. You agree? Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. You know, I hadn't heard any reports tonight, but I just really believe that God is touching people. When you start talking about who you are and what you have in Christ, it makes you approach things differently. Instead of approaching it as a beggar, as like, God, I have nothing, I can do nothing, would you please move? It increases your faith. There's a scripture... In Philemon chapter 1, verse 6, it says the communication of your faith becomes effectual by acknowledging every good thing that is in you in Christ. When you start realizing what you have in Christ, it just makes faith go through the roof. I tell you what, you see great results. Every time I minister on this, we see people receive at a different level. We see greater things happen. That's awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree and we just thank you. We receive all of these miracles in the mighty name of Jesus. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 
Praise God. I believe that people's lives are being changed right in front of our eyes. Amen. That's awesome. I'm going to dismiss you and let you go. Thanks for coming. Remember, we'll be back at 10 in the morning and at 6 tomorrow night. Remember that we have those DVDs and CDs already duplicated and we have all of our other materials. You know, it would really do you good to get the teaching on spirit, soul, and body and the one entitled, You've Already Got It. Those two things, those two teachings that I've got would amplify on what I've talked about tonight a lot. Also, the teaching on redemption goes into that same thing, and I'll be covering those kind of things tomorrow. Thanks for coming. God bless you. You're dismissed.